Beyond the Box, number 40, Russia, Ukraine, the war, and is this Gog and Magog? On the 24th of February, in the year 2022, Russia, led by President Vladimir Putin, launched an unprovoked invasion against the neighboring nation of Ukraine. This act of aggression captured the world's attention, and for good reason. The Russian invasion is the biggest military engagement on European soil since the end of the Second World War, certainly dwarfing the Balkans War of the 1990s when the former Yugoslavia dissolved. A great civilizational change, we could even call it a shaking, is occurring, and no matter what the final outcome of the invasion may be, the world order has been altered. Some say it's the end of the Second World War post-war consensus of the liberal world order or even a new world order. In fact, that's what Joe Biden called it, a new world order. But please note, he didn't use the definite article. He didn't say the new world order, which would be implying Daniel's fourth kingdom, the final kingdom before God's kingdom makes an appearance. Now, he's talking about a a new world order, as if there may be others in store, and indeed, there have been many. But the world order, as we know it, is certainly changing. It's a new normal that we're not used to at this point. Now, add to the mix the fact that Russia is one of the few nuclear-armed nations. It has fearsome weapons of mass destruction, and that's apart from the nuclear weapons. And Russia is very adept and experienced at what we call cyber warfare, although it's been blamed for certain things that it didn't do. If it militarily attacks one or more of the three former Soviet Baltic republics of Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, all three of them are NATO members, it could trigger a military response from the alliance. Russia's temporary partner, and that's China, could be drawn into the situation in theory, and presto, we have the Third World War. No wonder people see this conflict in apocalyptic terms. Now, cool heads need to prevail. They might, that's if we pray, and pray for statecraft of the highest order. There's some places we can expect it and some places we cannot, but it is, of course, a cause for prayer. And what our purpose here is to understand the nature of the Russia-Ukraine war, especially if there's any implications for Bible prophecy. More specifically, the prophecy found in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. This prophecy in Ezekiel is known as Gog and Magog. But before we even touch on the prophecy, let me make it clear. There is more going on to this war than meets the eye. And there's been an avalanche of misinformation from all sides, and that includes the West. So we need to sift everything through the prism of truth and reality, and we need to acknowledge the tragic aspect of this whole war. Because fraternal Slavic people, fellow Orthodox Christians, that's the Ukrainians and the Russians, are fighting each other, and there's displacement of millions of Ukrainians, and that's tragic in itself, 
plus the loss of many innocent lives. Yes, we need to pray. Pray for an end to this war. Now, even the fundamental issue of why did Putin invade his neighbor in the first place is not completely clear. We've heard a few things. He made one public statement, but whether it actually shed heat or light remains to be seen. But did Putin merely want to cause Ukraine to be a neutral border state unaligned with the European Union and NATO and with a Kremlin-friendly government in Kiev? Or did he want to conquer and annex Ukraine to Russia? Does he want to reconstitute the old Soviet Union? Does he simply want to maintain his iron grip on power in the Kremlin? We still await clear, correct answers. As mentioned, the Russian-Ukraine war is causing many people to turn to the Bible to see what are the prophetic implications, if any. We learn from Jesus himself that the warm-up to the last days preceding his second coming includes, quote, wars and rumors of wars. That's Matthew 24, verse 6. A great shaking, Hebrews 12, 26 and 27. Or intensity of living, as illustrated in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39. In general, great and unexpected changes are with us now. Think back to life in 2019, pre-COVID pandemic. That year seems like an eternity ago. The old normal appears to be gone. A new normal is in its place, but is unclear and a bit unsettling. Life will not be the same again, but that's not all bad news by any means. The fire and fury of this invasion plus the unprecedented global attention, has caused many to wonder, is this a prelude to Ezekiel 38 and 39? Apart from the campaign of Armageddon, which is mentioned in Revelation 16 and Zechariah 14, the Ezekiel prophecy is the best known of the major end-time war events. Although I might add, there are many who knew nothing about Ezekiel 38 and 39, including Jews in Israel, until around the year, I think, 2007, they had on Israeli TV talk about Gog and Magog with maps, invasion routes, and all this. For many in Israel, that was the first time they ever heard of this campaign, even though they are in the crosshairs of it all. Now, Second Chronicles, or actually First Chronicles 12.32, speaks of the men of Issachar who had understanding of the times and seasons and they acted prudently. When you understand the times, what is happening and why it's happening, you will know what you need to do. When applying current events to Bible prophecy, it is important to understand both the event itself and then carefully see how it lines up with the biblical record. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 12, verses 54 to 56. This is Jesus himself speaking. And it doesn't just apply to his critics and opponents. It needs to apply to all of us. And this is what he said, Luke 12, 54 and onward. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites! 
You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Let me repeat that last phrase. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Good question. We need some answers. I will endeavor to offer some preliminary responses. Gog and Magog. In summary, the Gog and Magog campaign is a massive, spontaneous, latter-day invasion of Israel by a coalition of nations led by great power from the north. At the time of the invasion, Israel is living in peace, unsuspecting, and apparently unprepared. This unexpected invasion is so overwhelming that, humanly speaking, the Jewish state cannot survive it. Yet, at the 11th hour, God himself intervenes, annihilates Gog, its allies, and the entire invasionary force, and Israel is saved. Now, let's look at some of the details of this prophecy. Please bear in mind, every reference I make at this point is from the book of Ezekiel. So, in chapter 38, verse 1, who is the leader? The leader is Gog. He is the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Main allies, that's chapter 38, verse 5. Persia is his ally. Persia, of course, is easy to identify. That's Iran. Cush is an ally. Now, this could be Ethiopia, or it could be Sudan, or it could be Eritrea, or a little bit of both, or all three. And then there's Put, P-H-U-T, and that normally is ascribed to Libya. So you have North Africa, You have Horn of Africa, and you have Middle East, Iran, as well as Gog. Now, the secondary allies found in verse 6 of chapter 38 are Gomer, the house of Tugarma, which could be in Turkey, question mark, and many peoples with them. Massive, well-armed, spontaneous, latter-day, and knee-jerk invasion. When is the timing of this prophecy? Well, I've already said it's in the latter days or the last days. It says in verse 8 of chapter 38 and verse 17, after many days you will be visited. There is discussion and disagreement about where to place the Gog campaign in the prophetic calendar. Will it happen before the tribulation? During the tribulation? at the end of the tribulation, making this synonymous with the campaign of Armageddon. A fourth option is after the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, when Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit, gathers the rebels together to attack the beloved city, and fire falls from heaven and destroys them all. That's Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10. Well, that's what happens in Gog in Ezekiel. Could it be the same thing? Many scholars say no. All I can say is the ingredients, most all of them, most, are already in the pantry, but we might have to wait for all of them to be in the pantry to be fulfilled. We just have to watch and pray. Now, the target of the invasion. The invasion will target the people of Israel living in the land of Israel. It says that they are gathered out of many nations on the once barren mountains of Israel, but now dwelling safely chapter 38, verse 8. 
Israel would be living in peace at the time of the invasion. Now, in October 2020, the Abraham Peace Accords with Israel, also fulfilled or signed by the United Arab Emirates, UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco, point in the direction of peace. Now, is this the peace that Ezekiel's talking about, or does the fact there is menacing antagonists against Israel, like Iran, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas, even the Houthi Shia rebels in Yemen, whose drones can, in theory, reach Israel, will this preclude Israel living in peace and safety? We wait. What is the reason for the invasion? According to chapter 38, verse 12 of Ezekiel, spoil will be seized, plunder will be carried off, livestock and goods confiscated. Well, Israel is in many ways a prosperous nation that had agricultural miracles, considering it's a dry place and not a lot of water, and yet it can be a net exporter of food. Will Israel's natural gas reserves in the Mediterranean Sea be part of the booty? We watch and pray. What is God's response to this invasion? God goes against Gog and his allies, sends fire from heaven, and destroys the coalition, according to Ezekiel 39, verses 1 to 6. It takes seven months to bury the dead, verse 12. Ultimately, it's God who draws out Gog and the company to battle, and he destroys them. He puts a hook in their jaw, and he draws them out. When this happens, the nations will hallow and glorify the name of the Lord, Ezekiel 38, 16. What is the aftermath for Israel when this invasion is finished? So instead of being destroyed, Israel will experience a five ingathering of the exiles, according to Ezekiel 39, 27, and 28. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon them, chapter 37, verse 14, and 39, 29. With this in mind, we ask the question, who is Gog? This is the million-dollar question. We need to identify the key player. Now, Magog, in all probability, simply means from the land of Gog. The M is that preposition, from. So let's focus on Gog himself, the main character. Who is he? The normal, traditional interpretation is that it's Russia. Why? Because it is a great power from the north, Ezekiel 38.15, Russia's long thousand-year history which reputedly began in Kiev before gravitating towards Moscow, has incorporated an empire larger than any except for the Mongols and the Muslims. The old Soviet Union was a tailor-made villain that fit the spirit of Gog, full of anti-Semitism and militarism. But then it collapsed on Christmas Day 1991. Also, some teachers say that Meshach is the same as Moscow and Tubal is the same as Tobolsk. But is this really the case? Now, I personally am not 100% convinced that Russia equals Gog, because the main verse for this identification is Ezekiel 38, 15. It says that Gog comes from, and I'll say it in the Hebrew, Safon Yereka. Safon means north. So the adjective Yereka is the key word. In Strong's Concordance, because after all, 
it's not just Russia that's north of Israel. You have Lebanon, you have Syria, you have Turkey, you have Ukraine, as well as Russia. So what does Jericho mean? In Strong's Concordance, H3411, it's translated side, coasts, parts, border, quarters. Now, some modern translations say Saphon Yerika means uttermost parts of the north. But in the authorized King James translation, it just says Gog comes from the north parts. Other translations that are modern speak of far north. In any case, the notion that Ezekiel is saying that the furthest north is debatable and leaves open another possibility for who Gog is. Now, while Russia has been imperialistic in the past, and some would argue that Putin is reviving that tradition, it has also been a Christian nation, that's Russia, for a thousand years. Vladimir, Prince of Kievan Rus, led his nation into Eastern Orthodox Christianity in the year 988 AD. The 74 years of atheist communist rule from 1917 to 1991 in Soviet history, or Russian history, I should say, was an aberration because the rest of that millennium, it was influenced by Orthodox Christianity. You might remember Hudson Taylor. He was born in 1832 and died in 1905. He was the great British missionary to China, founder of the very fruitful China Inland Mission. Yet his most memorable prophecy had nothing to do with China at all. It was about Russia. Now, sometime in the latter part of the 19th century, Hudson Taylor received the following vision, and I quote, I see a vision. I saw in this vision a great war that encompasses the world. I saw this war recess and then start again, actually being two wars. After this, I saw much unrest and revolts that will affect many nations. I saw in some places spiritual awakenings. In Russia, I saw there will come a general all-encompassing national spiritual awakening, so great there can never be another like it. From Russia, I saw the awakening spread to many European countries. Then I saw an all-out awakening following by the coming of Christ. It is clear that Hudson Taylor, who died in 1905, saw the two world wars. That's the bad news. Yet the good news was he saw Russia as the epicenter of a great spiritual awakening that would spread westward to Europe and herald the Lord's return. We all know that Europe desperately needs revival. So does Russia. So does the United States. So does the world. Think about it. In Russia today, Christianity, once shunned and persecuted by godless communist comrades of the now-defunct Soviet Union, had returned to a prominent place. Not only is the Russian Orthodox Church having a renaissance, but Baptists and Pentecostals are growing. Yes, let's balance it out here. There is anti-missionary and anti-sect legislation in recent years. There may be some limitations and regulations put on the evangelical church. The scene is not completely clear. But there's no mistaking that the atheist days in Russia have given way to a conspicuous, multi-flavored, Christian presence in Russia. While Russia is regularly nominated as Gog of Ezekiel 38, some, perhaps many, Russian Christians reject this interpretation. How could a Christian-influenced country 
in coalition with a few Muslim-majority countries, try to destroy Israel. Well, of course, that's possible if it was riddled with anti-Semitism. But here's another consideration. Please bear this in mind. Could Gog actually be Turkey? Turkey is also north of Israel. The key to the interpretation of who's Gog are the place names written in Scripture, like Gomer and Tugarma. Could they be in Turkey? And likewise, Meshach and Tubal may not be Moscow and Tobolsk after all. Finally, the fact that Russia, Iran, and Turkey are currently based in Syria, and Syria is next door to Israel. Could this military arrangement under certain conditions trigger the Gog attack? To answer that question, remember to take note to the specifics of the prophecy. And bear this mind, this exhortation from 1 Corinthians 13, 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So we need to follow the Lord's simple injunction to watch, be sober, and pray. And I've got multiple references for this. Not only will we not be caught off guard, we will get it right, and we will be part of God's solution.